Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up a very busy week. Lots going on. We'll be checking in on uh, several issues. Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist, will be joining us. We'll talk about the crop report yesterday. We'll talk about the biofuels debate. We'll talk a number of things about the ag economy with Scott Irwin. We'll also be talking about that crop report with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. What were his takeaways and where do we go from here? We have some news on waters of the U.S. We have the old rule scrapped, at least uh, for the time being. It's That's being challenged in the courts, but the administration has finally put away the old rule. Working on the new rule, we'll get an update with Ellen Steen with the American Farm Bureau Federation. So lots going on. Let's check in with DTN's Todd Neely. Hi, Todd. How are you? Good, Mike. Thanks for letting, thanks for having me. Too bad we just don't have anything to talk about, and just hardly anything going on, no. right? No, no, <laughs> not at all. Gosh, wish something would happen. Yeah, well, we got this back and forth, uh, all kinds of meetings going on at the White House. The the uh, president meets with the biofuels industry, meets with the uh, oil industry, all kinds of things flying back and forth out there. But uh, so far, I don't think the biofuels industry has seen anything they, they are especially on board with. No, I, I think that's right, Mike. And, uh, you know, just the tone uh, of the back and forth between, you know, both sides, whether it be lawmakers from states who support oil or, or, or ethanol, uh, there's not a lot of give and take. Uh, there was a letter yesterday from a number of senators from oil states uh, basically opposing the whole idea of reallocating gallons lost to small refinery exemptions. And so that is a real sticking point, obviously. But I, I think we're at a point now where uh, if ethanol were to receive reallocation of those gallons, uh, you know, we'd probably be, you know, where the industry wants to be. I think I think that's the crux of the issue. Um, today, we're seeing a number of uh, senators from, from oil-producing states reportedly meeting with the president. And so, uh, you know, while the president has put out there that uh, you know, he's told biofuels interest that, you know, accept the accept the uh, the offer that I gave you by Friday uh, or else, basically. Um, I don't think we're going to see any kind of movement in terms of a final agreement today. I think it would be surprising considering that meetings are still ongoing. And it really comes down to that issue of reallocating those gallons, right? I mean, the biofuels industry says that's what yeah. we need, and the oil industry is saying that's what we don't want. Yeah, absolutely. And I and, and like I said, I think if you look back uh, at what EPA has done previously, you know when the agency was handing out fewer waivers than what it does now, uh, those gallons were reallocated to, to larger refiners and the other obligated parties. Um, and so I guess the case can be made that, you know, with the number of waivers being much higher today uh, than they were years ago, uh, it might put more of a strain on some of these larger refiners, but yet uh, if EPA is going to follow the law, um, I think it has plenty of plenty of reason to go ahead and reallocate the gallons that, that have been waived at this point. But uh, yeah, that that is a really a real sticking point here, and I I don't know that uh, you know either side is going to be happy with any agreement at this point. 
Yeah, I, I've said that over and over and over. The administration is trying to find a win-win on this, and it's pretty yeah. hard to find. I, I don't know that they will find it. No, I don't think so. And I, and I think ultimately, um, you know, whatever the case may be, whether there is a deal, uh, one side or the other is still going to continue the, you know, the pursuit in court. We've got a number of cases pending on this very issue. Yep. Meanwhile, there was a big rally held yesterday on the National Mall in support of USMCA, and there's some back and forth going on there, too. Some Democrats saying, here are some things that have to be addressed. Uh, there's some back and forth between the administration and those members of Congress. It's going to be interesting to see, can they get all this worked out and still get this thing voted on this year? Yeah, you know, Mike, I think, you know, as we've talked about, too, I, I, this this measure is highly uh, highly popular among both sides of the aisle. It's not uh, it's not as if there are some major sticking points really left to be uh, to be tur- you know to worked out. But uh, at this point, I I think um, you know I think we're going to see some movement on this relatively soon. Maybe even uh, you know sometime next week we're going to know quite a bit more. But uh, you know when you consider the the support for this uh, for this agreement uh, coming from everywhere at this point, it seems kind of pointless just to put this off. Yeah, but uh, the nature of the beast of politics, they'll, they'll find a reason to keep uh, arguing about it. Uh, meanwhile, they've got some spending things to take care of to keep the government open, and so that uh, front and center in Congress is they're back in session now. Yeah, absolutely, and I think, uh, you know, that that's the good side of this, you know, with this with the with USMCA coming up at this point. Um, you know, Congress is going to have to deal with, like you said, with these spending measures, and perhaps... Uh, this agreement being part of that is is a good thing. If they've got to get uh, spending bills passed, then, then perhaps you know this could tag along. I, I don't know that that'll be the actual uh, road that they take, but um, at least we're talking about it. I think that's kind of an important thing right now. Of course, China is always the big story, and there are some signs here. I guess some are saying China blinking finally in this trade war because they're kind of opening up or easing off, allowing, uh, you know, taking off the tariffs for pork especially, maybe soybeans. So I guess it depends on how you read the tea leaves on this one. Yeah, I think, Mike, more than anything, it seems like it's a goodwill gesture. You know, um, when you look at the way things are now, I'm, I'm not so sure that, uh, China deciding not to to step up the tariffs on soybeans, for for instance, is really all that big of a deal. Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, the the move would have been from 25 to 30 percent. And so, at this point, I don't know how much that actually means, you know, in the real world, so to speak. But I think it definitely does indicate that that the two sides are coming together to talk, and you know, and perhaps this is a good thing. It, it's uh, it's at least giving some hope that, that there might be some sort of agreement that comes out here very soon. And meanwhile, waters of the U.S., uh, we finally have the old rules scrapped, although that's being challenged in court. Gets us another step closer to a new rule. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the 2015 rule for all intents and purposes was pretty much dead. I mean, we've had two uh, district courts essentially deal the blow to that, to that rule. Um, and I, so I think what we're going to see now, once EPA puts out this final definition, this final rule uh, that we've been writing about for a number of months, um, I think that's when uh, any court challenges that occur are really going to be uh, more significant. You know, the 2015 rule has been sent back to EPA anyway, uh, and then the agency decided yesterday it was going to go ahead, put a final rule out basically repealing the 2015 rule, 
Um, so I, I don't know that any court challenge at this point to keep that rule alive is, is going gonna, is gonna to hit the mark. I think it's really going to be more uh, about that future definition. For sure, we'll see more, uh, more challenges to that. And it certainly allows the president to say that he's uh, fulfilled that campaign promise uh, to repeal Waters of the U.S. He can say they've done that now. So we'll see, where we, we'll see where we go from here. Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. All right. You too, Mike. Thanks. DTN reporter Todd Neely. We'll get into all those topics and uh, get more perspective on all those topics coming up as we go along. Up next, the RFS debate and the crop report yesterday. We'll talk about it with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, always enjoy talking with former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, who joins us now. Well, let's talk about some trade issues. We have a uh, deal with Japan, although we don't have the details. It's not formalized. What's in it for dairy that uh, you're happy about, excited about? Well, Mike, I think we have to be a little bit cautious about this because, as they say in the trade world, unless everything's agreed to, nothing is agreed to. I think there are still some very significant uh, work that has to be done between the Japanese and the United States. But I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that by the end of this month, President Trump and Prime Minister Abe can uh, make an announcement that hopefully will level the playing field for U.S. dairy in Japan. It's our, always one of our top five markets. I just got back from a visit in Japan. There is tremendous opportunity on both the cheese and ingredients side in that country. But we are currently at a disadvantage to our EU and New Zealand competitors because they have free trade agreements. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Scott, thanks for being with us. What was your takeaway from the uh, crop report yesterday? It's a lot calmer reaction than we saw a month ago, but uh, what what did you uh, draw out of it that, that stood out to you? Well, the, the, the number one thing out of the reports that I drew yesterday was, you know, just how much progress we're, we've made in just a few months on eating away at that billion bushel carryover for soybeans uh, with uh, a bit better use uh, for the old crop. And in those estimates, they're getting trued up to the final numbers, uh, lower yield. Um, all of a sudden, the projected ending stocks for soybeans were down to 640 million bushels. And, you know, now we have the trade news with China um, and some combination of that, maybe a little lower yields. We might even actually end up below 500 million bushels uh, carry out this year, which is really astonishing compared to the way we thought things looked just a few months ago. Yeah, because the big question was with acres not planted and reduced yield on acres that uh, were planted, would that be enough, especially in light of... uh, you know, the China situation and not selling them as much, would that be enough to significantly reduce that carryover, those stocks numbers, and it looks like it is happening? Well, again, I think the way I like to frame it, Mike, is farmers were very ingenious with their use of the prevent plant on uh, corn this year, the flexibility that they had in how they could, um, you know, manage their prevent plant declarations what they essentially did was uh, kept corn acreage flat, uh, then took you know something over 11 million acres of prevent plant on corn, but they in essence took that out of acres that they had previously planned to plant soybeans. So I call it the uh, the PP uh, voluntary set aside program for soybeans this year. It's worked out really well for farmers. So your thoughts now, here we are mid-September, and the mm-hmm. frost threats seem to have diminished somewhat for a lot of the Midwest. Now, we know there are weather problems in the northern states and real challenges there, but uh, a lot of the Midwest now that not as concerned for the time being about an early frost. Do you see this crop maybe uh, making it to the finish line more than we thought maybe it was going to? No, my views haven't changed uh, an iota on that front. Um, because I've never really thought that the risk that we should be concerned with, Mike, was uh, a frost in September, a a big widespread frost. That's very, very rare. The real issue that I think that the market should be and farmers should be concerned about is a frost in the first two weeks of Octurity of the millions to stop the maturity of the millions of acres of corn that were planted after June 5th. So I still think there's by no means are we out of the woods in terms of frost freeze risk. 
So we'll keep an eye on that, and for sure, yeah, that uh, we've just kind of maybe delayed our concerns a little bit, uh, but we'll see what happens yeah, when we get to October. So not a huge adjustment in the yield numbers from USDA, but there was some, although some thought they might lower them even more. Were you surprised at all where they came down? No, not really, um, because if you you know really delve into the nuts and bolts of you know USDA's forecasting methodology, um, even though this time we had the objective yield uh, in- indication in this survey that we didn't have in August, uh, the corn crop in particular is so immature that they had to make a lot of assumptions about ear weights, and so uh, with the lack of maturity. You know, there's a lot of historical averaging going on in, inside those numbers. And, you know, as I look at the data, I think that uh, it suggests to me that both the ear counts and the ear weights that are fed into the yield projections are probably going to drop somewhat as we go through harvest and the other estimates. So I guess I expect some downward drift in upcoming October and November estimates for corn and maybe even more for soybeans. Interesting. And a reminder, I think, of what really can get the market's attention. I mean, there was a lot of focus on this crop report, but it just took some China news and what appears to be some positive China news to really move the market. I mean, that's where the focus still is, right? Right, and rightfully so. That's, um, you know, we're still trying to sort out what actually is happening. Uh, you know, as best I can tell, the news is that they're, at least for some period of time, removing the tariffs on pork and soybeans. And you can see the soybeans. I mean, uh, a lot of focus on soybeans, but look at what's been happening in the lean hog futures market. I mean, it's on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and People are trying to now try to determine, is this China blinking in the trade war, or is this just a goodwill gesture going into the next round of talks? I guess time will tell. That's right. I don't know any better than anybody else what it is. But, you know, compared to what we've seen in the past, this is a pretty significant um, gesture, if it's just a gesture. Um, You know, that was their major response to President Trump's initial imposition of the tariffs was to go after soybeans. And to take that off, I I honestly was surprised that they took even this step. And, you know, even if it's limited, it did surprise me. We're talking with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Meanwhile, Scott, we're watching this full-blown war between Biofuels and ethanol, uh, biofuels and the oil industry and the administration in between trying to broker something. This is all being played out right now. What are your thoughts? Well, I the way the best way I can state it is that um, I, President Trump clearly does not want to, but I think he's being forced to choose sides because I think that there's been widespread education on the ag side about the implications, the severe implications for the RFS mandates of the way the Trump administration, EPA, has been implementing the RFS mandates um, 
from 2016 compliance year forward, and they understand uh, how severe those implications are, and they're saying it's got to stop. And on the other side, you've got the uh, refining interests are saying we don't want any change. And, you know, the president is trying to thread the needle and make both sides happy, and I think that that's impossible. Yeah, I agree. I, I just if they're trying to find that win win that make both sides happy, I I don't see how he does it. So that means he's going to have. I mean, unless you're just going to make both sides really mad, or, or are you going to lean more one to the other? Who do you think has the advantage there? That is a hard, hard uh, question, and I'm not you know any real expert on the politics of all this. And you've got the 2020 election coming up, and I do know that Iowa and rural Midwest is very important to the uh, president's uh, electoral prospects. And, you know, I don't really think he can afford uh, a lot of erosion on on the rural side. But, of course, on the other side, you know, the crude oil refining is a huge, huge, uh, you know, multinational global industry, and those firms have a huge amount of, uh, political sway, so it's just really hard to know. But I do know this: the person I watch very carefully in what he says is uh, Senator Grassley of Iowa. He's my bellwether, and boy, he has staked out a very strong position here in the tone of his remarks and what he's demanding. And quite honestly, I don't think the president knows what to do, nor do his advisors. Senator Grassley, by the way, will be on here with us on Monday, so we'll see what he has to say. We'll get the latest from him on that. So it will be interesting to see how it plays out. And I, I, yeah, I think the administration, they're searching for an answer that I don't know that they're going to be able to find or come up with. And, of course, they're going to try to put something out there and, and spin it as uh, being uh, good for both sides. But I've got a feeling uh, that that's not going to play real well with a lot of folks. We will see. As always, Scott, good to talk with you. Interesting times. Uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Yeah, it's always, always fun. Thanks, Mike. All right. Appreciate your perspective. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Well, Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stones up next. He'll talk about that crop report yesterday, what he took away from that. What about the China news, the RFS news, all this going on? Really interesting. We'll get his thoughts next on AOA. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From 
cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Sharply higher in lean hog futures on this Friday in the grain and oil seed sector. After that big rally in soybeans yesterday, we are firm with corn and wheat futures steady to higher as well. Hog futures getting another big boost out of news that Chinese authorities have excluded U.S. pork and soybeans from an additional wave of tariffs. Private analysts saying that Chinese buyers can get three U.S. pigs for the cost of one Chinese pig. In lean hog futures, an hour into the day, December up $4.50 on expanded limits at $68.70. Live cattle, December contract, near unchanged, down two cents per hundred weight at one hundred four ninety two. Feeder cattle October up 85 at 135.35. For the grain and oil seed sector, corn futures near steady money. In fact, December unchanged an hour into the day at 367 and a quarter. March up a quarter of a cent at 380. Soybeans, new crop November 897 and a quarter up a penny and three quarters. January up two at 911. For the wheats, Chicago December up four at 487 and three quarters. Kansas City December up two and a half, 406. Minneapolis Spring Wheat December up three quarters of a cent at 508. Outside markets on a Friday, a mix for the major financial indicators. The Dow is up 66 points, NASDAQ composite down 14. S&P 500 up three. October crude oil in New York down 37 cents at 54.73. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, lots to sort through with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. All right, Arlen, which did got the market's attention more, the crop report yesterday or the Chinese news? 
That's easy. China. Uh, China yep. News raising some hopes uh, with the markets down to levels we are and the big spec shorts. Uh, that, that was just too hard for them not to pass up taking some profits off the table. So do you see this as China blinking or is just a goodwill gesture or how do you how do you interpret this? I think it's a pretty smart move on China's part. If you do the math, they were not going to have enough soybeans to get to the Brazilian harvest, uh, particularly with some indications that the dry season may last a little bit longer in Brazil, and so that may delay the harvest a little bit. They may not have new crop beans into February. So they needed to buy some more soybeans from the United States. And, of course, we know the problems with African swine fever are going to necessitate some pork coming in as well. So why not leverage that? If you're going to have to buy anyway, why not leverage that and use it as a tool to try to get some leverage in the trade talks? Now there's speculation. Could there be some sort of a a, a mini deal, a, a narrower deal between U.S. and China rather than the big all-encompassing uh, deal that has been sought so far? Yeah, Bloomberg broke the story yesterday, so they had five different sources that confirmed that. Uh, CNBC later uh, denied it. Uh, President Trump, when he was asked about it on air, um, said, no, I want a whole deal. Well, I might consider a partial deal, so who knows what President Trump may want. Uh, But the trade, which has been leaning heavily short on the commodity side for so long, really since late May of 2018, on this trade war, now has to take in that risk that all these profits they've had from being short uh, may be at stake here. I, I don't see any indication that either China or the United States have, are changing their core values or are in very different pages here. But the leaders of both countries do have some incentive in a narrow window here to try to get a deal. President Trump, with the uh, re-election campaign coming up, um, and some signs that maybe our economy is starting to falter, maybe starting to lose a little bit of support in farm country, and President Xi Jinping not only having to deal with the high pork prices, which are just exploding higher right now, actually starting to ration some pork supplies. That's their favorite uh, choice of meat there. Uh, but the Hong Kong protests are also big, and if they have to take a or heavy-handed approach on the Hong Kong protests, then that, too, would say, let's get a trade deal, let's buy some ag commodities, let's get the world's focus off of us so we can deal with African swine fever, so we can deal with these pro-democracy movements without the world kind of really focusing on us. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. All right, what was your big takeaway from the crop report yesterday? Probably the biggest thing I took away from it was uh, a slide that USDA provided, which was on pod weights. Now, not actual measure to weight pod weights, but the implied pod weights. Uh, because if you look through the procedure manual, manual for USDA when they do these objective yield surveys, they really cannot, cannot weigh pods until the crop is mature. And not even enough of the crop was mature when they walked the fields to even register on the weekly crop progress reports, although we know in some states there was some mature enough for them to weigh. Uh, in fact, over 10 million acres hadn't even started setting pods on September 1st when USDA was walking the field. So the pod count itself was down uh, roughly 20% from last year's final count. So that's a huge drop in pod count. Then USDA surveyed farmers 
and said, what do you think your crop's going to yield? And they looked at satellite data where these short soybeans look good from the satellite, and, and, the, and the greenness factor is very high um, there right now. And so they estimated a yield from those two components and divided it by the pod count and came up with a record high by a sizable margin pot implied pod count. A year like this, the agronomist training in me suggests that we wouldn't have a record high pod count. If you just take the average of the last five years, and there were some that argue that we should be below average, but if you take an average pod count, then a pod weight, I should say, I'm sorry, that that would suggest a sub-45 bushel national average yield. So there is downside risk to this soybean yield, and that's what really stood out to me. You and I have been talking about this throughout the growing season and wondering, would we reduce those soybean stocks enough? What do you think? Well, the 12 million acres that we lost, according to USDA, because of adverse weather this spring, that kind of deals with the big surplus that we had, that we had to get rid of. Now do we drop yield enough to require rationing higher prices with African swine fever reducing demand from China? And I think that 45 bushel level that I uh, stated earlier is really the key level. If we start seeing the yield drop below 45 bushel, then we start dropping projected ending stocks to levels that the market starts getting concerned. Now, I was commenting yesterday, you know, maybe in one of the positive aspects of taking projected ending stocks for this last year over a billion bushels is it's totally changed our paradigm over what is tight stocks. It used to be we had to get down below 200 million bushels to be tight. But now suddenly projections of something less than 700 doesn't feel so big anymore. And if we start seeing stocks falling below 500 million, all of a sudden I think the market would start getting more excited, even though that's adequate supplies to meet our needs. You know, we've We've talked a lot about the concerns over an early frost, and uh, we still don't know what's going to happen there, although some of those concerns have been eased in some places, at least eased, not eliminated. But, you know, the other thing we haven't really talked about, we we know there's going to be a later harvest and a long harvest to, uh, because of the lateness of the crop. But that also, from a weather standpoint, just increases your chances of having bad weather for harvest, right? I mean, making it more difficult to get the crop harvested. It really does, and I'm still worried about a 2009-type harvest to where not only did we have a frost that kind of shut things off before the crop was really done, but we put a lot of wet, low-test-weight corn into the bin and took fewer bushels out because of the shrinkage that happened as a result. And uh, that was a pain for farmers to try to get the crop in, particularly in the northern half of the belt. Uh, and then they took the second beating when they pulled fewer bushels out at a lower test weight. And that's a real concern. And I might mention that when USDA was surveying the field, there were 53 million acres of, uh, of corn out there that wasn't dented yet, that they just had to imply or assume normal uh, seed size. And that would be the later maturing corn where you would expect to have a smaller seed size so USDA gave us an estimate that was 4.7% below trend, assuming that more than half the crop had normal seed size. If you just drop that by 10 or 15%, which would, as an agronomist standpoint, you would anticipate, suddenly you say, well, we may have some more downside risk to that yield as well. 
Then also on the demand side, this biofuels war that's playing out right now uh, as the administration seeks some middle ground. And I, as I've, I've said several times, I, I just don't think they're going to be very successful in trying to make both sides happy, and they're, they seem to be trying to do that. Uh, how do you see this playing out and the market impact of it? Yeah, I don't see it playing out very well either. I think uh, President Trump uh, has um, underestimated his understanding of the issue from the agricultural standpoint and under and understated the the impact of it or how much this meant to farmers across the Midwest. Uh, and uh, I, I think he's going to have a hard time bringing a resolution. University of Illinois. Uh, put out a paper that I thought was a pretty good resolution that could have helped solve this problem. I don't think he's going to uh, get enough support from big oil to to do that. Um, I think it's going to be a concern, and he seems to be pushing things pretty hard for a decision by today. You know, this could easily be solved. Uh, China's been trying to influence the president by buying soybeans and pork. Um, they need ethanol as well. If they would just buy some, um, make some commitments to buy ethanol, that could improve ethanol margins, improve export demand, and, and, and have a dramatic positive impact and, and kind of bail President Trump out here. Yeah, be, that lack of exports of ethanol to China just uh, exasperated this RFS situation. It really did. And you have what, uh, calculating about an 83% tariff on ethanol into China. Um, they need it right now to uh, meet their requirement for 10% blending mandate by next year. Uh, we could really help them by shipping ethanol there. They could uh, really help move toward, I think, uh, improving relations with the United States toward a trade deal. Um, but I don't hear it being talked about much. What a wild ride 2019 has been and looks like it will continue to be, doesn't it, Arlen? It really does. I've been working in agriculture for nearly four decades, and, and this is one of the more memorable years, one of the more unique years of my career. As always, appreciate your perspective. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, and have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Well, you know, all these issues uh, that we're discussing right now are just dominating the news right now. But you think back to the last presidential election, and I remember hearing from a lot of farmers, a lot of ag groups, the two issues that most were on their minds going into that presidential election was Supreme Court justices and also waters of the U.S., wanting to get that old rule repealed, get a new one in place. That's kind of been pushed back somewhat in the headlines and the attention, but it's still a big issue and it's still being worked on. And now we can say the old rule has been repealed, but where do we go from here? We're going to talk about that with Ellen Steen with the American Farm Bureau Federation. A WOTUS update next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. 
They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Joining us now is the Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, Liz Wagstrom. Liz, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Could you give us an update? Uh, what is the, the situation with African swine fever in China and other countries in that part of the world? Uh, where are they with trying to get it under control? We continue to hear that China has ongoing ASF outbreaks. What we're hearing from the government may be a little different than what we're hearing from people who actually work in China. And then we've seen it spread throughout Southeast Asia. So Vietnam has been very transparent and and talked about the spread of ASF throughout the entire country of Vietnam, and then it spread to some of the other countries there in Southeast Asia and continues to have a slower spread but continues to kind of march through the Baltic countries and Eastern Europe as well. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, 
It could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The 2015 controversial Waters of the U.S. rule has been repealed, but the controversy is not over. Court challenges and getting a new uh, rule passed and, and in place remain ahead. Those challenges are not over yet. So let's get an update from Ellen Steen, General Counsel for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Ellen, thanks for joining us. I guess that we've taken another step, though, in this process, correct? Big step, huge step. And hi, Mike. Nice, nice to be with you today. So it's repealed, but it's not, I mean, can we say it's completely gone, the 2015 rule? There are still court challenges, aren't there? Well, yeah, the the, the repeal is now final as far as the agency is concerned. So that's a huge, huge win. We're going to we're gonna do a, a victory lap and have a, have a big party to celebrate the fact that the administration has finally repealed the 2015 rule. Now, the, the rule, as you know, is a little bit, it's a little bit like, uh, Dracula or a zombie—it's it's, kind of hard to know when it's when it's dead because the courts the, the courts are out there. Uh, so there's there's going to be litigation. There are going to be lawsuits to challenge the repeal of the rule for sure. And there's the ongoing process of getting a new rule. Ongoing process of of step two. Step two: write the new clear definition of waters of the U.S. that we've been working for really for decades. Yes, and that's still in the works as well. So what's that process? How, give it, can you give us a timeline on that? We, we uh, agencies working on it, working real hard on it, and I, I think we're hopeful that we'll see uh, a new, clear, clean water rule by sometime this winter, um, maybe, maybe in, the, in the middle or late part of this winter. They're doing, they're doing the work they have to do to, to get it right. And, and that's important, and, and we want them to get it right. Now, how does that work? Once that's done, do they just put it in place, or what has to be done to, to get it in place, the new rule? So the new rule, when it is finalized by, by the agencies, will they'll, they'll set a timeline, and it might be 30 days uh, for it to go into effect. As always, as you know, that'll be litigated, too. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, you know, and, and we know from the fights that we've done over the 2015 rule, those lawsuits, there are going to be lawsuits in district courts all over the country. There are going to be multiple lawsuits going on fighting the, uh, over whether the repeal was valid, over whether the new clean water rule is valid. It will be litigated. Uh, some courts, um, you know, may rule against it because environmental groups are going to choose very friendly courts 
to file in. Uh, so it'll it'll be hashed out over a number of years in the courts. To, to be frank, it will it will probably wind up in the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, it's a it's a really good uh, at least what we've seen from the proposal. Though it's a really good rule in that it finally draws the the some clear lines that people can understand, and that's what. That's all that, that farmers and ranchers and the regulated community, all areas of business, have been begging for for decades is some clarity. Business hates uncertainty. Banks hate uncertainty, right? Uh, anybody running a business just needs to know what the rules are, and I think we're finally going to get that. Um, but it will, be, it will be hashed out in the courts for years, and then ultimately it'll be upheld. Yeah, you answered my next question about going to the Supreme Court, because we've had all these rulings out there on one side or the other, although recently the rulings have been uh, against that 2015 rule, so in, in favor of the agricultural position, really. But ultimately, uh, it would seem that it's headed to the Supreme Court. Right, right. Every court that's looked at that 2015 rule so far has, has found that it was illegal. <laughs> you know, so the, the thing that just got repealed, the bad rule that we've been fighting, was illegal anyway. Um, and uh, it was it was way beyond the agency's power under the Clean Water Act. It was procedurally flawed. It was a terrible, illegal rule. Um, and uh, you know that that's so it really shouldn't be so controversial to repeal something <laughs> that was illegal yeah. to begin with. Uh, but but uh, this this issue is highly controversial. Everything that happens and, on it is highly controversial. But as we have pointed out before, this isn't just agriculture pushing for this. There are a lot of other groups and interests pushing for a new rule. Oh, yes. I mean, states, counties, municipalities, it, virtually every business sector in the U.S. economy stood up and, and opposed this rule uh, when it was proposed in 2014, fought against it, challenged it in court. Courts said it was illegal. The, the, the promise that was made back under the Obama administration when they came out with this, what they called the clean water rule, they promised clarity, but they didn't give it. They gave us a lot of uncertainty. They give the whole landscape looking across the countryside became one big gray area. Everything might be regulated, right? Um, so, so what we want and what we think we're finally about to get um, is a new rule that'll that'll provide that clarity that has been promised, but but never we never got there. Yeah, I saw a story about under the new rule, fewer wetlands would be protected. Well, wouldn't that be in part, or at least somewhat, maybe a large part, in that uh, you're stopping declaring so much land wetlands that maybe shouldn't have been? Right, right. the The definition of wetlands is 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 constantly being expanded through interpretation. I mean, a lot of, of areas of land that are that are farmable, very productive, good good land for all sorts of activities might technically be called wetland. And so we really we aren't talking about regulation of waters in the way that most people think about waters. We're talking about you know the federal government claiming uh, the power to say what you can and can't do on land and regulating huge swaths of the countryside. So it's really not about about clean water. Everybody wants clean water. Farmers want clean water. 
Um, but it's it's about it's about the federal footprint across the landscape, and where where does it end? It's about drawing a line somewhere where the federal government doesn't own the right to tell you that you can't even plant a crop there. So so another big step in the WOTUS uh, struggle and journey. Thanks, Ellen. Thank you. Ellen Steen with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.